Hey everybody, welcome to Nomenclature. I am Brandon Henderson. My guest today is Diallo Riddle, and he chose the word copacetic. Diallo is an incredibly uh, accomplished and talented uh, writer, producer, actor, showrunner. Um, he received an Emmy Award nomination for his work writing for Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. He co-starred in the NBC sitcom Marlin with Marlon Wayans and has done a thousand other things. Um, check out his show, Sherman Showcase, which he co-created with Bashir Salahuddin. It is on Hulu, season one, right now. You can also check out the Black History Month Spectacular on amc.com. Um, Diallo went to Harvard. I went to the University of Montana, which is widely known as the Harvard of the West. So it was fun to speak with the fellow uh, alumni uh, or alumnus. Uh, he could tell me which, which one uh, of those is the correct usage in this instance. But um, Diallo was really fun to talk to because he definitely turned the tables on me here and took me to school when it came to copacetic and a bunch of the peripheral information. I, I typically, of course, try to do a lot of research and, and come to the table with uh, you know, tidbits and facts and information that my guests won't have, um, but this definitely went in the reverse. And so it was really fun to, to get a lot of, uh, uh, of his knowledge sort of shared back my way in this conversation. So I uh, hope you really enjoy this. Dale is a super, super funny guy, super easy to talk to. And so um, I think this is a really fun episode. So hope you enjoy this episode of Nomenclature, focusing on the word copacetic with my fantastic guest, Mr. Diallo Riddle. Thanks, man. We're, uh, we made this, we're making it happen. <laughs> finally. <laughs> finally. Um, I appreciate you taking the time. You've been, uh, You've been a busy man. Yeah, and uh, it's going to be busy this morning, too. But I'm glad that we're doing this because uh, I love uh, words. As do I. I have <laughs> a, a, a particular obsession uh, with them, too. Uh, probably my, my wife's chagrin, but uh, <laughs> I, I do like off, really, We're starting off with chagrin. I like it. <laughs> By the <laughs> way, you know, I'm actually a fan of like some words that aren't fancy at all. Like There's some great two-syllable words. Um, you know, chagrin is one that doesn't get enough love. Somebody used the word reticent yesterday, and I was like, oh, nice, reticent. Uh, <laughs> you know, so, yeah, I always feel like, you know, people will be like, it's, my life is divided into two. I'll use a word that I'm not even thinking about, and people will be like, oh, and I'll be like, really, that word? But then other yeah. people will use a word that I think, oh, I don't hear that word very often. They'll be like, really, is that an SAT word? And then you're like, fuck you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the... Uh... This is the challenge of uh, having comedians on often and letting them choose the word because like I've had the word, you know, future and, <laughs> uh, you know, other words, but then uh, also I've had boner and beaver because uh, comedians, right? So you know, I will say that the word boner is like a cancer in a lot of comedy writing rooms. Like there's so many writers <laughs> who I think, they just think that's the funniest word ever. And I'm like, who who hurts you? Like why do you 
why do you always pitch this joke with involving this word? It was the bane of my existence in several rooms. Really? They're just like, wait for it. Yeah. Boner. Yeah, they just thought it was the funny. By the way, men and women, male and female writers, sometimes just obsessed with the with the word boner as a joke. I don't get it, but you know, yeah. maybe it's a cultural difference. Well, it's not a lot of black writers who are, who are obsessed <laughs> with the word boner, so it might be just uh, cultural. I don't know. It may be. I, I'll throw uh, Josh Adam Myers under the bus for him choosing boner, but <laughs> we we talked about. Uh, <laughs> the fact that it is perhaps the least sexual euphemism for, uh, <laughs> you know, a sexual organ. There's yeah, right. no, no circumstance you're going to be uh, with, a, with a, a person of your choice and be like, oh, here comes that boner. You know, you know for years before that. the uh, Office began, you know, sort of got its new popularity on Netflix, yeah. I would always say that uh, the, less, the least sexy word in the language, ironically, is sensual. And then, of course, there was that episode where <laughs> but Michael is like, I'm a very sensual person. And I was like, ah, oh, well, there goes that joke. Yeah. <laughs> and now it's no longer enjoyable. Now, uh, the anyway. Office did it, or The Simpsons did it. <laughs> yeah, and well, and you know, I, at the same time, I, have, uh, I am, have no pride when it comes to words. If words work and they're effective in the moment, um, I'll be really honest, I spent no less than 45 minutes with a friend of mine um, replacing a single word uh, in a, uh, the title of a film with butthole. Ah, like, how like old was Schindler, you? Schindler's, Schindler's butthole. This was a month ago. This was not, <laughs> this just happened. <laughs> at, at a park that we were surrounded by people, somehow we got into this. Everyone felt we were obnoxious, which we were, and it was the most joy I've had in quite some time. So, you know, it goes, <laughs> it's, it takes all kinds, I guess. I don't know. That's. Yeah. I mean, like, I think, um, by the way, have we started? Yeah. We just dive right into this. I, I like to, uh, like to surprise you. Uh, no, 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 I'm, see, I'm see if I can catch you with, uh, I'm with it. No, I think that's better because, you know, for these kind of things, you want people to be like, sort of like loose and not like, hello, it is a pleasure to be here. You know? <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, so we're going to talk about uh, copacetic today, but yeah. before we do that, one of the things that I do most of the time is do a little research on people's names first, okay, and then uh, and then go for from there. So, um, were you able to find my middle to, name? I I don't I don't know what your middle name is. Oh my God! I was like, research. this seems like a uh, <laughs> this seems like a shady way to be like a identity thief <laughs> research on your name and where you live and uh with the name of your first cat <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah your mother's maiden name let's do this yeah exactly. um so uh, let me ask you this first is your family uh like um like there's some families that are all like like family crests and they're like your name means this and it's important for these reasons or you named after this grandfather or grandmother or whatever so uh, first of all, I should say that I went with Diallo. No offense to to Riddle, just seemed like more interest more interesting <laughs> yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you know background? Did uh -huh. you talk about it growing up? Yeah, I mean, like I'm the sixth child of six kids. Uh, I am the baby. I should say they started off with very sort of like you know I, I won't use the term normal, but they started off with very traditional names like Tony and uh, Sean. 
And then as they got to kid number five, her name was Spring Robin, you know. Uh, you know, and that was that was sort of like they, they discovered weed at that time. <laughs> you can almost track the uh, uh, you can almost track the the history of, of political discourse in this country because yeah, yeah by the late sixties they're on to Spring Robin, and then there's like an eleven year gap between her and me, and uh, and I came out as Diallo Riddle, and Diallo is a uh, Fulani name uh, from West Africa, and it's. Uh, you know, there's there's something over there called the. Well, let me explain. Diallo is how I pronounce it, and uh, it's sort of the anglicized version of the name. It could be right pronounced Jalo, um, because over there they have a, a place that looks very much like my name called the Futa Jalon Mountains. Um, but my parents didn't want me. To, my dad specifically didn't want me to be called Jello by friends. <laughs> yeah. uh, he was like, "We'll we'll pronounce it the anglicized version of Diallo." And uh, father. So it wasn't, wasn't Jalo, but it was Diallo. I will say that, uh, you know, sometimes you'll actually see the name spelled D-J-A-L-L-O um, as well. So there are a couple of different spellings that are out there. Um, but yeah, Diallo, Jalo, that is the uh, West African origin of my name. Now I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, uh, and my parents are from Los Angeles. You know, they had the first five kids in LA. Nixon got reelected. My dad was like, I'm not with this. And then he moved to, he moved the whole family to Martinique. In fact, when we saw the movie, uh, The Mosquito Coast with Harrison Ford, um, I was like, oh, that's like my dad. Like he, he, he tried to live like off the land uh, in Martinique for a little bit. And he figured out after a while, you know what, we're American. So they flew back to the States, but they had done all these big going away parties in Los Angeles. So they couldn't just go straight back like a year later. So he had to figure out some other city to live in so that the people wouldn't laugh. And uh, he chose Atlanta because it was sort of like a, a burgeoning new city uh, for black people and a strong middle class of black people, uh, you know, in the old South, it was becoming the new South. So in yeah. the, somewhere in the middle of the seventies, he moved there. And then a couple of years later, I, I, I popped out. So there is no African link other than the fact that my father wanted to give me an Afrocentric name. Yeah. Um, I, I'm always, uh, I always admire a, a parent uh, that will, or parents that will take their kids uh, on adventures to live, like places, <laughs> you know, overseas or go, like even just to try. Even these, these people that are, um, you know, doing it just for like, like a couple of months, like they're going to drain their savings and they're just going to travel for a little while. Like that's a, that's a bold, a bold move. I barely I like to take say. my kids to the mall, much less to a foreign nation. Like I just don't oh, yeah. know. I think, I think parents in that generation were of a different stock. and breed. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I, uh, you know, the idea of going to, I mean, especially now, I mean, I don't go anywhere with them, but uh, the idea of going somewhere, where the, I have to focus and get something accomplished with a six-year-old <laughs> touching everything and, uh, you know, going crazy is, it sounds like a nightmare. So let alone, you know, going someplace where there's like a new language or the, my nightmare is having a, uh, now I, I'm saying this, but you, you're in LA. Yeah. But you, yeah. you still live in New York? Uh, no, I've lived in New York. I've lived obviously a long time in Atlanta, but for most of my adult life, I've been in Los Angeles. Okay. I, I had this, every time I went to New York, uh, I have this nightmare of my kid 
uh, jumping on a subway or jumping off the subway and the doors, <laughs> the door is closing. It's, it terrifies me. Oh, that, that is, that is a nightmare. I mean, like I will say that when we were lived in New York, our oldest was only, you know, like he was, he was one, by the time we left there, he was actually two and a half. So he wasn't, he wasn't moving like that with us. Um, and plus he, there was only one of them. So there were two adults to watch him. Now that I have three kids, I can't even imagine what it would take. It was hard enough living in New York with just one child in terms of like getting up the, um, cause we took up the train all the time and like just going up those narrow staircases with a stroller, uh, you know, always required two people on a level that you've never seen. It's like full contact parenting. And like, you know, yeah. nowadays, like we have a car in LA, so you can put a lot of stuff in the car that you can just have just in case. But you know, our stroller looked like we were homeless. Like it looked like, uh, it looked like a grocery shopping cart because we had so many things that could potentially come up. And also we were first time parents. So like we wanted to be prepared for everything. Like there was things on top of the stroller, underneath it, on the kid. Like, you know, we just had to do, <laughs> we had to do welfare checks on them just to make sure that oh, man. buried under all that stuff. So six, six is a, six is a fun age. So I think you're in a, you're in a good time. Well, I, I also, I, I should clarify. I, I have five kids. So, uh, oh, old, old, yeah, so lots of poor decisions in my life, but the uh, oldest uh, is 15 and my youngest is, is six. And so I really should clarify that at this point, you know, she, she could jump off, you know, a cliff or into traffic and I'd be like, you know, duck, weave, you know, I probably am not quite as, uh, as uh, you know, paying as much attention as I used to with the, <laughs> with the oldest one there. But um, five is a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Well, and it's a, it's, so it's a blended family. So I have three from a previous marriage and two from my current marriage. And so uh, we put those together and, uh, uh, and we have our own version of, of the Brady Bunch uh, minus the maid, but plus, yes, yes. Some, plus, <laughs> plus some Brady dogs. Bunch with none of the help. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. <laughs> none of the help. I, uh, I was going to say too, I'm curious about, now, first of all, and I apologize in advance for this, but it is the first thing that came in you know, my head when you talked about the the J in, in Giallo mm -hmm. is one, I would think originally I'd be like, that'd be awesome. You could say the, the D is silent, <clears throat> but then <laughs> it would also get so old so quickly too, because everyone would say it to you, I'm sure. Well, I mean, I already, Giallo is a, a, a not enough name that like, um, well, for example, when I was uh, running for, uh, student government my first year uh my first year at harvard i told all the kids that uh you know diallo is like diablo without the b <laughs> and that was the only way to get them to not call me like diallo or like any any number of of iterations of it so i eventually started you know my campaign posters all said diallo it's like diablo without the b <laughs> like that, that, that was the platform i was running on i guess and uh, <laughs> It was just it was just odd enough that uh, that we won, and then I proceeded to get on the finance committee and uh, make available funds for every student organization's uh, party that year. That that we had we had the the pork to give out to the various districts, and uh, our our district was like three hundred dollars for a DJ, five hundred dollars for the party. That was that was big money back then. That's fantastic. Well, I I think you'd be an absolute garbage person if you're not voting for somebody whose name is almost Diablo. And that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's an intimidation move right there. I've say, recently uh, met one of the first, you know, actual admitted Satanists that I've ever met. And uh, 
And she was legitimately like, oh, I thought your name was Diablo. <laughs> she was like a little bit disappointed. <laughs> but uh, my wife, her, uh, her, my, my mother-in-law, um, my wife's mother, either, either, either name is fine. Um, she, when, she, when we first started dating, uh, she was laughing one day when she called me and I was like, what's so funny? She's like, my mom was like, you know, Diallo, that's Spanish for devil. <laughs> she was like, um, it's, uh, it's actually not Spanish. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. I, uh, yeah, I think that, um, having something that's a little bit more interesting makes you immediately, uh, I think the assumption is that you're going to be more interesting too, or there's, there's like you say, Diablo or whatever the sound, there's something about the, uh, the, the phonetics of things or the, you know, if, if it's an onomatopoeia or so like words like that, that sound like something that you think of that gets applied to somebody. And if you're, if you have a name like Diallo that sounds like Diablo and you're a boring person, then it's twice as disappointing. Like you say, when you meet the, the Satanist, <laughs> man, that but dude, if your name Diallo, is, man, what a, what a dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'd, you'd think, but then, uh, you know, if your name is John and you have, you know, even half a personality, you're, uh, John's a pretty, you know, John's a pretty cool name. In fact, my father's name was uh, John Thomas Riddle. Uh, yeah. I do. I, I won't, I won't out anybody, but there are some other names. I'm like, Oh, what a blank, <laughs> you know, like, and every time I say it, like people are like, Oh, that is a really dull name. <laughs> um, well, I, I don't want to, cause you know what? You can always find an example of somebody with that name. Who's freaking electric. And everybody wants to stand next to them. So there you go. Yes, yes, you can. And you can simultaneously also find like that. That's the thing with my ex-wife when we were naming kids, she would suggest <laughs> a name and I would be like, I uh, hate that person. Grew up with a kid <laughs> named, named that name, never in a million years. And so it's always a battle. Yeah. I, I also think too, you, you're talking about, so you have an older brother named Tony. I do. And then you're Diallo. So it's like the way I think about uh, that, like was girl. there ever like, Oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was like, and then there are four girls in between. Okay. Did you ever, ever have a situation? So you have this, this Afrocentric name, and then he's got Tony. It'd be <laughs> like if, if I was like Seamus and my older brother was like, I don't know, Phil. Or something. <laughs> but I'll tell you, Tony, Tony's a big personality. He's, a, he's also a physically big dude. You know, he's 6'5". <laughs> I am just 6. Dad was 6'3". We split the difference. Um, you know, like, yeah, no, Tony's a big personality. So, again, you know, sometimes I think that, like, name is very important. And I do think there is importance in name. Um, but I also think that some people just come out the way that they are, just, you know, ready to ready to be larger than life. So there you go. Cool. Well, it, one little side fact that I found about Diallo, and then we'll, we'll move on. From oh, yeah, let's, let's talk side facts. Yeah, is, um, man, it is a really common name. Over the over in Africa, it's a common so, surname. That's what's interesting. Surname, yes, that, yeah. People often will say, "Oh, I can't believe Diallo is your is your first name." Um, there's yeah, apparently yeah. a soccer player by the name of of I forget his first name, but his last name is Diallo. He's huge uh, in Europe and you know internationally. And so <laughs> sometimes I get people you know tagging me in these in these photos, and I, I have to break the news that, that I am not him. I'm just a yeah. guy who jumps onto social media platforms really quickly and always tries to get at Diallo because it's uh, it's you know it's, it's kind of cool when it's just at your name and you don't have to do yeah. like, so. 
Ed Diallo is the real one. You know, you might be able to crazy. <laughs> you should just be like, thank you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm sorry that I got to it first, folks. Yeah, I, I it, yeah, it's pretty pretty wild because you know in the U.S. Smith is always the one that's yeah. supposedly the most oh, common. Cool. I always Smith. tell people it's like if you met an African guy named like Smith Adojave, you know, or something like that. You know, what I mean, like you know, yeah, yeah. It's uh, because obviously the last name is Riddle, and I've done research on that name too. Uh, the same way we like the same way I like to look up the history of words. I've obviously looked up the history of the last name and ancestry. Um, dot com, which is this is not a paid whatever, but like it was helpful in getting like halfway, you know, through the eighteen hundreds, and then it just becomes depressingly. It all becomes like unknown female slave or unknown male slave. Yeah, man. The trail goes absolutely dry. Uh, yeah, it's, and it's sad because you know I can look up. Uh, the white side of the family going all the way back to like 1500s and stuff. And I'm like, that's really cool guys. <laughs> I wish you guys had been more possible for us, but okay. I, I'm thinking, uh, I'm thinking about that it, with, uh, with things like 23 and me becoming, um, yeah, you know, more pervasive and stuff. Have, have you heard or read anything to where that's, People are able to tra track things. Well, you know, more easily able to figure or... out things like you know. So, I mean, at least according to one company, one genetic company, um, I was told that you know my ancestors had actually been in the country much longer than uh, I previously would have thought. You know, like the majority of slaves did come over, you know, somewhere between the late 1700s and the middle 1800s um and also obviously the vast majority of, of slaves involved in the transatlantic slave trade went to brazil they didn't come to north america they went to brazil um but you know my own personal results were just that uh you know our 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 people had been here you know probably going back to the colonial period which was interesting and that they that they shared the most markers with the uh nation uh angola um, now, you know, a good friend of mine is Marlon Wayans, you know, I was on a TV show with him, uh, for a couple yeah. of seasons and he, you know, his, his results were that they all came from Madagascar, which is super rare, you know, cause wow. not many slaves were taken from there. Um, so, you know, like everybody's results are a little bit different. Um, I always say that one of the reasons why I even do what I do in the entertainment business is that. My real goal is just so that uh, Henry Louis Gates will have me on his Finding Your Roots TV show, because I think <laughs> that is the coolest. Like I can only it's do so much between like you know the the genetic companies and the online you know heritage ancestry companies, but like he's got a team of people who really know what they're doing, and sometimes they can even find out like the name of the uh, of the unknown. We'll, we'll say uh, from old newspapers and stuff yeah but i have found like some very interesting i mean like it is amazing the crowdsourcing that goes on on some of these websites like i did see where like you know and we, we won't get too deep into this but you know i saw where the grandfather of the guy who you know basically where my trail begins around like 1842 where like actual names come in um for you know my family uh, his grandfather had actually been killed by one of his slaves, like, you know, caught an axe to the neck. And 
and the slave was quartered, was, was, was found guilty and quartered. But all I could think when I read that story was what in the world did he do that yep. that black man decided, you know what? I know this is going to result in my death. This is basically like yep. committing suicide, but I don't care anymore. I'm going to do this and everybody's going to know about like he had to have done something truly barbaric. I mean, cause that's basically committing suicide at that point. The fact that they had uh, what had happened in the newspaper, assuming they were telling the truth, but I yeah. think, you know, there probably was some truth to it. Uh, it's, it's just, uh, and then the quartering, I mean, like, there's just yeah. very few ways to die that are darker than that. So that was in the early, I want to say that was like 1809 or 1827. You know, I, I don't know if I was related at all to Peter. Uh, that was his name, but, uh, but you know, Peter took an ax to, to the guy's neck and, pay the price but you know it's just uh it's 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 down there i think that one of the things that i was i was lucky enough to really get into when i was a kid was history i i can still yeah. remember the first time that i ever uh mom bought me a very very incomplete copy of the encyclopedia britannica because you know it's one of those things where like we just ended up in goodwill or amvets or something like that and she just bought all the volumes that were there so you know i knew everything about like a through c didn't know much D through E, <laughs> you know, like I just had yeah. what I had. And uh, I remember reading, oddly enough, about the Punic Wars, you know, and, uh, and the Roman armies. And for whatever reason, that's one of the first things that sparked my love specifically, not just like things from the past, like dinosaurs that like every kid gets into, but like legitimately like, you know, armies fighting armies. And then growing up in Atlanta, I started to notice the markers around town for the Civil War. And I was like, oh, there was a battle around here? That's kind of cool. And then I saw the Ken Burns special, and then I was hooked for life. And that desire to know what the history behind stuff is, you know, extended to just the words themselves, because some words beg, you know, call out and say, like, hey, there's clearly a story here. Um, yeah. You know, there are actually sometimes in my past when I would, <laughs> when I would see a word that was so weird that I would admittedly just make up a make up an etymology for it. <laughs> yeah. Like I'll never get one time like a friend was like, corduroy, that's such a weird word for some pants. And I was like, and I was in a, I was just in a I was in a silly mood. I was like, well you know the funny story about that is that uh corduroy is French. And it's uh you know cord is uh French for pants and Roy is French for king and so it's corduroy pants of the king. It was a, a fabric <laughs> I mean, like, none of that is true, but, oh, man. you know, like, just, I, some, but it sounded convincing, right? Like, these are, these are the things that an idle mind will do sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> and that is now the definition of corduroy for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah pants, of the, wild, pants of the king. <laughs> pants of the king. I'm telling you, man, I used to, you know, now I got three kids. They've, they've taken all the wit out of me and uh, I'm just trying to get through my days. <laughs> No, that's fat. Uh, all I usually think of when I hear corduroy is Pearl Jam. So we're. Uh, <laughs> we're Wait, I'm sorry. Wait, why Pearl Jam? Why Eddie Vedder? Were they wearing corduroy and I wasn't aware? No, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a song. Uh, oh. it's, uh, it's a song off of uh, Vitology, I believe. That's oh, you know, I didn't song. get as far into Vitology as as as. Uh, what was it? Tin was Tin the first album, the one with the yes. I thought Tim was a masterpiece. I, I did not get as much into Vitalik. That that explains it. That guy. Yeah, I'm I'm like uh, when it comes to Pearl Jam, I'm like a Republican. I'm like you know, 
it's like it started off with, like, with some good things. Any better? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> like it started off. You know, maybe it started off with the you know the original maybe original ideas in some places were maybe maybe good. There were some good things. Uh, it's gotten it's gotten worse in some ways, but I'm still gonna stick with it. And I, I'm gonna ignore <laughs> the the many albums that uh, maybe were terrible in between. Um, I don't know if that's a good example or not. I am not sure uh, that holds up, but I'll, I'll go with it. You're, yeah, you're, I don't know. The party of you're the party of Lincoln slash better. That's what you're trying. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, sure. No, I, uh, I yeah, I, I felt suddenly um, make America great again. So let's. Hey, not are do you that. more Nevermind or Heart Shade Box? There's a question for you. Oh baby. Um, okay, here's the bullshit answer, non-answer, which is, I think, uh, I can see why Nevermind was was more of the um, affecting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, watershed album that sort of exploded, but I, my personal preference, uh, yeah, is in utero. Oh, in utero. I'm sorry, I'm calling it heart shaped box. You're right. It's in utero. Yeah. But here's what I'll say. Um, I remember never mind coming out, and me and a couple of friends. My high school was 99% black. Uh, yeah. I remember it coming out, and we had like a small circle of like six guys who were every bit as much into hip hop, but we also loved like Nirvana and Red Hot Chili Peppers. And yes. I'll never forget that uh, we thought Nevermind was such a good album that I actually went back and bought Bleach, <laughs> which was like yes. the first super indie. And that was a little more, it was harder to get into. But, uh, but I just feel like by the time Nevermind was done, it was so played out that they're just, yep. I feel like I have a different relationship like with In Utero. I feel like I'm like, Oh yeah, we're friends, you know, like the world didn't latch on to you as much as it did Nevermind, but like, you know, again, with Heart Shape Box and some of the other songs on there, you know, I, I, I was yeah. there for it. Yeah, and Utero is a little bit, uh, it's it's more, I don't know, it's more stripped down, I feel it's less produced, um, it's a little, it's a little grimier, which was I really like about between the two? They had, they had Incesticide, which was... It, it, it's an album, but it's like it's like B sides and like yeah. a couple. Yeah, I feel like I, I spent some money at Tower Records and was not pleased. But you're right; I was yeah. probably not savvy enough at the time to know that record labels would do things like put out old music in between. Yeah, there was an album in between. Totally incesticide. I totally forgot about that one. Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, you're right. Bleach, Bleach is like uh, Bleach is really heavy, like really heavy. It's like oh, it's amazing that that group. <laughs> Did Bleach and then did Nevermind, except that I briefly worked in the record business and um, one of my old bosses worked on that album um, and, you know, just on the, uh, on the, on the, gosh, what, what would have been their title? I don't think that they were, maybe they were marketing or maybe they were, I, I'm actually blanking now whether Allison and Rob were were in the studio with them or, but regardless, like they were sort of the ones who sort of were able to say, hey, this small group, we're gonna market it to the world. Yeah. Uh, because the music is a little bit different and we're gonna, you know, uh, we're gonna steer them in this slightly different direction. And all it took was a little tweak and all of a sudden they were, they, they invented an art form, they killed off the hair metal bands and they gave kids who, you know, were into hip hop or other stuff, something alternative to listen to. And it's crazy that, uh, I feel like that album and the Chronic, they might have come out the same year or like very close to back to back. And I feel like those two albums defined, redefined whatever the '90s was going to be. 
you know, every bit Absolutely. is like, you know, best I ever had, whatever that first Drake album was, sort of like killed off a generation of rappers and sort of, you know, put us toward on this path towards 20 teens rap. Uh, there are just certain albums that just, I can't think of one for the 2000s for the record. I can't think of an album that so drastically changed the record. Like there's always change, but like the drastic change between like people thinking we wanted to hear another Slayer album, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like yeah, it, later, like, you know, Slayer and Rat and Poison, like these groups, <laughs> they were dustbin. You know what I mean? Like it's it's crazy to think of how how he just killed off a whole generation. Yeah, I mean it's it's like it's like if you know there's you had country music and then suddenly uh, Elvis came out and then country music just went away. <laughs> like it just no nobody made more country music ever again. Like That's kind of what happened. It's weird, right? And by the way, you know nobody was less excited about this than the people in Los Angeles along the Sunset Strip and you know, hanging out at the rainbow room and yeah. we still got the big teased hair. And they were probably like, who are these dirty hippies in flannel shirts? It's, uh, it's insane. Yeah, yeah. And it, they, what I always think about is, uh, remember the movie, The Wrestler with- uh, Totally, with the, uh, yikes. Um, yeah, got punched on, in the face on. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I know God this day, but it's only, because, it's only because now we're talking about him. He's in Iron Man 2, come on. Yes. Uh, oh, he's in Brave, he's in uh, what is that, Crazy Heart, or what was the movie that had Lisa Bonet and uh, oh, yes, I, that's right, the Red Bill Cosby, game yeah, Bill Cosby was like, That's oh, not my god, <laughs> <laughs> I wonder oh. how much he knew, like, what a hypocrite he was being saying, like, that's not family friendly, <laughs> dude. Uh, I am, I'm not sure to this Mickey day, Rourke. That guy, Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke. Mickey there it is. <laughs> I, I'm not sure to this day if Cosby thinks anything less of himself. I like, think, you know what? Is it, this is, obviously, I think he's a monster. I yes. think Cosby's brain, he thinks, I'm not doing anything that Hugh Hefner and, and I'm yeah. not going to throw out any other names because I know that there's always been talk that Hugh Hefner used Spanish Fly, but uh, there's there's been lots of there are a lot of men of that generation that I'm sure yep. thought that was just a regular move on a Friday night. And I'm sure Cosby just thinks, did I outlive them to pay the price for what they were all doing? You know, like, yeah. like I just feel like there was like a click of like Hollywood guys who wouldn't think twice about that kind of, I mean, like just the idea that uh, Roman Polanski was basically doing that at uh, Jack Nicholas's house, you know, not to say yeah. Jack knew about it, but I think that there's just a generation of guys who did a lot of sh absolutely shady stuff and they either died or weren't caught and Cosby's like, why am I paying the price for all of them? So, uh, you know, that, that, that's, I think that it's, it's, it's a little bit like, um, what's his name? Uh, <laughs> there's going to be another one, Mickey Rooney, you know, like Mickey Rooney lived yeah. just long enough to have to answer to his <laughs> racist portrayal in Breakfast at Tiffany's. But at the time, oh. I'm sure that everybody was patting him on the back and he's just like, we're oh, all yeah. the family on the back. Oh, they're dead or they're irrelevant <laughs> or, you know, like you, sometimes you can just outlive your, your, your times and sort of what you, uh, what they thought was acceptable. Um, yeah. One of the greatest, um, I feel like jokes I've ever heard in my life 
to do with with Mr. Cosby is uh, when Chappelle does his whole bit where he basically he's talking about um, sort of black experience in America from uh, like slavery to you know he talks about how you know then Martin Luther King and then Michael Jackson. Uh, is moonwalking on television and all this stuff happens. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, all, all this is happening. And he goes on for like what feels like 10 minutes, right? He's, he's just talking. And I can, I'm always fascinated by everything he has to say, whether I'm laughing or not. Mm-hmm. So you're into it. Then he gets into the end of it and says, and while all this was happening, Bill Cosby raped 54 people. Oh, Chappelle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. This, that's, it's insane. I, I remember that joke. Um, <laughs> that, that That's actually really really fun so it's a very thought-provoking special i i also liked his most recent one 846 about uh man about george floyd i think that look man it's just weird because we all grew up idolizing cosby thinking he was like the funniest guy in the room who also inspired an entire generation of of, of people but specifically like black dudes just to be like look at how dope you know being a cool dad can be, you know what I mean? Like, so we just held him in the highest esteem. And it wasn't until like the 2000s when he was like, pull your pants up. Like, we were just like, okay, that's that's not the most important thing going on. And then he just started to slip off of this uh, cliff in terms of like what we thought of. You know, one thing that never gets brought up about Cosby, but I remember vividly was like sometime in the late 90s, there was like a woman who sued him because she said that I'm, you know, basically a love child of Bill Cosby's look just like Bill Cosby, uh, sort of like in female form. And and uh, not only did he deny it, but it, like through hook and crook and expensive lawyers, he had her like put in jail, you know what I mean? And in my uh, mind- I didn't know about that at all. Yeah, it's worth looking up. I forget the name of, of the young lady. I'm sure it's on his Wikipedia page, but about the time he was trying to do a comeback in like the late nineties with like another show, I think this time on CBS, uh, I think her name was Autumn and you know, like it's worth looking up again. But I just remember my mom saying like, gosh, she looks just like his kids. And, yeah. you know, at the time it was it was kind of hard to believe, but now looking back, you know, I really hope that she didn't spend time in jail. She didn't need to. Jeez. Uh, yeah. Man. <laughs> copacetic. It, it's copacetic. <laughs> let's, uh, let's dive into that. Um, yeah. Um, and fuck Mickey Rourke. So oh, we're talking about African American history. <laughs> yeah, I um, copacetic man. This um, I mean, from so we've been talking about doing this this podcast for a month, two months now, or whatever. So, and for right from the get go, copacetic was something that you wanted to talk about. Tell me, tell me why? Why that word? I, I, I to me, you know. It, I'm part historian, but I'm also, I obviously make my living uh, writing stories. And to me, there's nothing more exciting than a detective story. To find out that a word's origins are, are unknown or at least not agreed upon uniformly is always exciting. Copacetic is one of those words. Uh, yeah. if, even if you look it up, technically it says origin unknown. Um, but I, I'll, I'll take a step back and say that my first exposure to copacetic was just it was something that you expected like a cool jazz guy from like the forties or fifties to be like, Hey man, it's all copacetic. You know, like, yeah, it's just one of those phrases. And, um, and so I always associated it with cool jazz guy. Um, and I don't remember necessarily what brought it onto my radar one day, 
but it was on my radar and I was like, what a weird word. And as I am, you know, sometimes known to do, I just happened to look it up. I happened to Google it and to find out that there were alternate uh, origins for it. And we can talk about some of those alternate origins uh, was really interesting to me. Um, I know that there's the theory that a book about Lincoln written in 1919 by Irving Batchelor uh, is yep. the first time it shows up in print. Um, so for a long time, uh, people thought that he had actually invented this word and that it could have possibly come from a, um, I believe from a Yiddish word. Uh, and I'm blanking on what that Yiddish word is. Maybe you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, the, uh, I, I will murder this word. Uh, so it's, there's, uh, there's two versions of it. So there's uh, uh, heckle besader and then Cole. So this, this second one is what makes more sense to me as to where it could have come from is Cole Besetic. Like it's uh, the, the spelling is, is uh, unfamiliar to me. So it's K O L B apostrophe T Z E D E K. Yeah. So however and it was exactly pronounced, I'm not sure, but. Not, not, to, not, to, not to turn the tables and ask you a question, but like, do we, do we know how it was used in this book? Yes. So um, I will read it to you. So <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the name of the book was Man for the Ages, about, yeah, uh, yeah biography about Lincoln, 1919. The phrase, or the, the quote wherein it's used is this. So as to looks, I'd call him, as ye might say, real copacetic. Mrs. Lukens expressed this opinion solemnly and with a slight cough. Its last words stood for nothing more than an indefinite depth of meaning. Very cool. Now, I will say this. I think it's very possible that that might be the first time it appears in print. But I'm also sort of thinking that just because that's the first time it appears in print, if it appears in print, you know, I. I'm a writer, like, I know that I've made up some words sometimes, but I just have to believe, uh, so there's another theory about where this word comes from, and that it comes from the South, specifically among African American uh, entertainers, uh, many of them in minstrel shows, uh, you know, in the South, in the late 1800s. Um, yep. And, and to me, like, you know, these are things we'll never know. There, it's, it's very possible that someone was exposed to this Yiddish word and then started using it among their black friends. Like that's a hundred percent within the realm of possibility. But I do also think that copacetic just uh, given some of its roots. And I think I saw something where like it's first used primarily like between Louisiana and Georgia um, that, you know, this word is also just a phrase that like blacks have been throwing it around. And, and then at some point, you know, because he's describing sort of like, you know, Lincoln, a very popular uh, president among African-Americans, especially back in those days, right. uh, that, you know, it's just, it's almost like if a, if a white writer threw the word Liddy into his, into his uh, script, and that was the first time Liddy appeared in, 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 on the page. I mean, like, you know, it's one of those things that might be lost for time, but I think the one place that we, that we can rest assured, the only reason why we're talking about copacetic you know, through computers in the year 2020 um, is because uh, black entertainers made the phrase popular. Um, and yes. so in that sense, it, it definitely comes from the, uh, the black community, specifically uh, Bill Bojangles Robinson was known to use it all the time in his performances. And, and uh, Bill's an interesting character because, you know, in his day, he was the most popular and most 
well-paid black entertainer. You know, he came out of the... He was huge. He was huge. I mean, like, they always say that uh, between Bill Bojangles Robinson and uh, Louis Armstrong, you know, these are some of the first, what we can think of as, like, pop stars. You know, like, these are some of the first, you know you know, big stars who are, who are black, who don't have to necessarily get out on stage and play the sidekick to a white comedian. You know, Stephen right. Fetch is more known for sort of being a support player, but uh, Bojangles Robinson would always, he was known for like headlining. He was like one of the first black headliners on Broadway. Uh, he broke the, the, the two colored rule, which was that, you know, a, a black guy can never just do a solo act. Like he broke that rule on, on vaudeville. Uh, yep. he, obviously, you know, he sort of invented what we think of as tap dancing, which was, you know, he, I mean, like Fred Astaire and others have always, you know, said so much. And, uh, you know, he was just a talk about a bigger than life personality. That was Bill Bojangles Robinson. Copacetic was just his word for essentially saying cool. Um, yep. And he's known for the person for being the per- person who popularized the word. Yeah. And, and also the, the first, uh, interracial dance number <laughs> was done with him Shirley and Shirley Temple, Shirley yeah, Temple totally. <laughs> yeah. which is so strange in, in some ways. Um, well, you know, a, a lot of flack for it in later years. I mean, like, I, I want to say he's, he dies like sometime in the, in the 1940s or whatever. I yeah, mean, like 49. even in his own day, there were people who were like, Oh, this is some sellout uncle Tom stuff. Uh, you know, that actually hurt him to his core <clears throat> because he always felt like, you know, he spent a lot of his time trying to get others to uh, open their doors and, and opportunities to uh, to black people. So it's it's one of those things. It's a, it's a thin line to to the you know entertainers walk to this day. Like, is what I'm doing you know funny, and uh, is what I'm doing you know hopefully helping you know yep. the people, or is it just an embarrassment and should I be ashamed of myself? I mean, like, I will say that uh, as a kid, you know, him, I, as a kid, I always heard of Bill Bojangles Robinson as like an absolute sellout. I think now that, you know, really a bit older and yeah, I think so. I think, you know, now that I'm a little bit older and I look back and I sort of understand sort of the limitations that Hollywood would have forced on this guy. I mean, like, you got to realize he was, he was doing his stuff in the 1920s when the president of the United States, or even in the 19 teens when the president of the United States was literally, you know, holding screenings of Birth of a Nation inside the White House. You know what I mean? Like, this is not, this is, this is, this is, uh, yeah, Woodrow Wilson is a really questionable, terrible, uh, pretty virulent racist. And, and, you know, he, he would actually hold up Birth of a Nation as like, this is why we have to bring back the Klan. In fact, after the Birth of a Nation, the Klan did experience this sort of second revival. Um, in that context, you know, you have to understand that Bojangles Robinson is appealing to, you know, probably largely northern uh, and, you know, west coast audiences. But uh, into that environment, like the things he was able to accomplish, the the sort of progress he was able to make should not be, uh, should not be ruled out. And, uh, and obviously there were people who felt like, you know, I'm, I'm sure like the WV Du Boises of the world didn't understand like why we needed this. But again, I would say that like there's even shades of differences between the way that Bojangles would play things and the way that Stephen Fetcher would play things and ways that Paul Robeson, <clears throat> sort of like an accomplished uh, Broadway actor, 
would play things. We actually, in uh, our TV shows, Black History Month special, the uh, Sherman Showcase Black History Month Spectacular, uh, we yeah. actually have uh, my writing partner, Bashir Salahuddin, playing Paul Robinson. So um, I think that it's, 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 it's worth having these discussions and understanding that each one of these people is a person who made, you know, creative decisions, you know, in part sometimes for financial and sometimes for political reasons. Um, yeah. And you had to kind of like break them down individually just because a person played a servant, he might not play it for the same effect and to the same result as another person playing a servant. So um, right. it, it, it takes a little bit of diving deep into the waters to decide what was not cool and was kind of like cringy and what stuff was, was cool and copacetic. Yes. <laughs> Well, I, it's an interesting, I think more than anything, an interesting commentary on just the industry at the time that, 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 that was what was, I don't know, this is, uh, that would, that would be pushing the bounds of what was acceptable at the time. Exactly. Which I think in terms of what was crazy. acceptable, you know, there were, there were places in the South that didn't want to see any, you know, black man dancing with, uh shirley temple you know and right. so i think that everything is is you know in some ways everything is incremental right and uh you know so the things that we thought of as groundbreaking and shocking you know 40 years ago we would probably cringe at them now but at the time it, it, yeah. it felt like progress so i think every everything is on a case-by-case -case, i guess yeah and well and i i think that that um i think it can get diluted over time with perspective, I, you know, it's like, I'm not a massive fan of the Beatles. I don't sit down and listen to them. Mm -hmm. But if I was to contextualize it, I, I can, I can go back and listen to a lot of Beatles. The reason why I don't necessarily love them is I will listen. I'll be like, I've heard this song like a thousand times, even if I haven't <laughs> right. heard it before. Probably here, right. I, she loves you for, with, with clean ears. <laughs> right. But the reason I feel that way is because it's been replicated so many times right. since because, you know, they, they did break ground. And so I, I feel like there's a similar sort of thing. We, you know, you get used to uh, sort of a, something being normalized over time. And then if you go back before that, it feels cringy, like you said. I think that Sidney Poitier, the, the roles that, that won him the acclaim and, and, and the love in the 60s, like if you saw some of those characters on the screen now, you'd be like, well, this is bullshit. <laughs> like, this, this character has no faults. He's not interesting. Um, so I think that to a certain extent, you know, it's, it's, it's what you need at that time. And, and, um, and look, there's always going to be somebody who seems like they're from now, but they were living then. Like, I think that all the renewed interest in James Baldwin is 100% cool because, you know, he seems like somebody who could be living right now. Like, that's how... Right broad yes. his, his worldview is and um and somebody like louis armstrong another person who like i didn't when i was a kid i didn't care about satchmo you know like i didn't, it was just like what, what what is this what am i what am i looking at here and i and i heard how he had been a um i forget what the i think it's called a mummer or something like that but it's essentially when black people wear blackface like you know that was not my that that is still not my cup of tea but at the same time uh the there's also the louis armstrong who was an absolute cool ass jazz musician in segregated 1940s Los Angeles. And he called his friends, you know, 
the Vipers. Like that was the name of his little crew. That's why uh, Johnny Depp called it the Viper Room when he opened the the venue here in uh, Los Angeles on the Sunset Strip. You know, okay. they, I didn't know that. There's there's some yeah there's something very cool <clears throat> about about reading in his own words Louis talking about being a black entertainer in 19 in 1940s Los Angeles because he talks about the fact that like the city was segregated but it was also super hypocritical so if yeah. you went down to the jazz clubs on Central Avenue like on a Saturday night like they would stay open just as late as Harlem like you know the the the, the lamer bands would start around eight o'clock Satchmo and 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 uh and in later years you know everybody from Charlie Parker to Dizzy Gillespie they hit the stage around like two or three in the morning, you know, and the audience would be often, often just because it was Central Avenue, it would be very black, but there were also clubs down there, Club Alabam, the Hotel Dunbar, where the, the crowd would actually be sort of mixed and you would see like some of the Hollywood stars sort of like sneaking down to Central Avenue to hear the best jazz in the world, you know. Um, they, would, they would keep the party going in the lobby of the Hotel Dunbar until the early morning. I mean, like, those stories are, are, are very, very cool. And, you know, this is still a LA where redlining is, is the rule. And, uh, you know, black families were kicked out of their houses on Hermosa beach because somebody figured out that what was then called Brown's beach was like, this is like a great beach. You guys, why, why did we let, you know, why did we let the, the colored people have it? So they took that beach back and renamed it, you know, like there's still all kinds of terrible stuff going on, but yet there's still light. There's still, uh, there's still sort of, you know, people's going about their lives and living their lives. And I think that uh, it's important to read both sides of it. You know, one thing that I always say that Bashir and I don't write is poverty porn. That's not to say that there isn't poverty or like those moments, but the one thing we don't want to write is like the poignant moment where like the, the black character looks out of his window at the world and then there's like a single tear. I mean, like, I don't think that that's yeah. my experience. That's not, uh, that's not even the experience of that character every day. But if that's the only day in their life that we show, then it just creates this false narrative. You know, I grew up in the southwest side of Atlanta. Bashir grew up on the south side of Chicago. These are supposed to be the neighborhoods that you got. You got to get out of there before the sun goes down. It's like ridiculous. You know, right. we lived our lives. We had working class families, but we lived our lives. And uh, and there's a lot of love and laughter and hope down there that I think can actually. Uh, fuel people to try to change this world for better. And uh, that's yeah. what I fundamentally believe in. Well, and one of the things that his, I, I don't even know how to, how to get this out right. I mean, first of all, I need to say you are um, by far the most prepared guest I've ever had, mostly because <laughs> stand-up stand comedians um, aren't known for their um, incredible research per se um but also i i feel like usually i'm like coming up and i'm saying hey i've done i've done all this research and i've got xyz to say um this is very much a, a table's turned and i've uh this is the most enjoyable podcast i've done so far and i don't care <laughs> who hears it um <laughs> the tables have uh, turned my friend the tables have turned i'm talking to you Josh, Adam Myers, and your boner um <laughs> yeah let's just talk about boner that's okay uh, but I mean, I, I appreciate that. I, I would not, uh, I'll just, uh, I'll, thank you very much. I, I appreciate it. It's, it's been fun talking. No, it's been, it's been a, an, an incredible conversation. I've, I've loved this. Um, I, uh, 
I really appreciate you taking the time. I, I was going to go off on a whole nother tangent, but I've noticed we're almost at an hour. Um, thank you for taking the time. I've, I've loved this uh, conversation and um, I, uh, I have more research to do apparently now. Hey, listen, so, let's just figure out where the word copacetic really gets. Let's just figure that out. Well, and we will change that, the world. We will change. The well, world. that that's the thing from the things that we've talked about. There's also uh, uh, somebody, you know, there's there's some uh, reference to Chinook, a Chinook Indian term. Uh, there's uh, uh, there's a Creole French. Um, that's the one that's the you know like i i will say that yes that one makes a lot of sense to me and and just tell me what 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 is the creole french word that it that they it's, got uh, it? i'm telling you man i feel like especially back in those days black people love some french i'm just yeah. like that was like the, the the creole population and the black population because blacks obviously creole is a mixture of like black and white and like sort of the native population yeah. like that they thought that was cool you know like that's where jelly roll morton comes out of and uh you know a lot of those earliest earliest um people you know in uh new orleans and stuff when i when i was when i was researching the word copacetic about a month ago uh when we were first talking about it i was like that seems right that seems right to me i could see bill bojangles yeah. coming out with the with the with the creoles and, and having them say some word that he then you know bastardized into uh Copacetic. I can well, tell and that. it's really the, the meaning is really close. Like the meaning of of Cooperstatique is that which can be coped with. So yeah. I feel like that's a really easy step. <laughs> it is uh, a really easy uh, step. And by the way, who wants to say Cooperstatique? You know, like I know. I can easily now see I want to say that. Hey, man, come on, just say, just call it Cooperstatic. You know, like I can easily. See, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm gonna start saying. Uh, Kupasetik and uh, <laughs> and pants pants of the king. Uh, every Gosh, day everybody's gonna be like, that guy's a liar. <laughs> so I was just <laughs> fun that particular night, but that it's was like always. Told... It's look, it's a party game, right? Like it's a it's a party trick. Yes. Same way as like um, you know, John Lynch is the executive producer of our show, Sherwood Showcase. Um, anytime we would go over his house, because I, I always I was friends with John just socially. Our our wives were friends, and I would just be over the house and. He'd start playing the piano. I'd be like, "Don't you ever get tired of this party trick? Like, come on, dude! Like," yeah. <laughs> and I feel like it's just—it was my party trick for a couple of years, just to yeah. come up with fake etymologies that sounded real. Like, it, it's only a fun game if you can convince people that like it's the truth. But yeah, and I love the idea that this guy is out there and for years has been telling everybody, "King of Pants." <laughs> <laughs> pants I, think, king. <laughs> I, I have a, I have a, I have a real strong uh, conscience. I, I'm pretty sure I probably admitted to him after a few drinks that I had just totally made it up, but I would suggest everybody go out and look up the real definition of Cor du Roy and, uh, <laughs> and you'll, and it's, and it's worthwhile. I'll leave it with Fantastic. that. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, Diallo, thank you again. I really appreciate thank it. You, dude. No, it was a real fun time, man. Um, you know, the next time I come across a really good word, maybe we can do this again. I'd love that.